All right, so this morning we are going to spend our time in a book of the Bible called Philemon. How many of you have heard of Philemon? Ah, pretty good. All right, so where it's located in the New Testament, before there's the book before the book of Hebrews. So find it before the book of Hebrews, the book of Philemon. And I'm going to give you a real quick overview. The book was written by Paul to Philemon of about 60 to 62 AD when Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And he was writing to Philemon because Paul came in contact with one of Philemon's runaway slaves. And Paul was writing a letter to Philemon to tell Philemon to, to forgive and to restore Onesimus, the slave, back into through this Christian, through Christian faith and, and what we hold to because of what Christ has done for us. So that's kind of the 30-second the cliff note version of what we're going to talk about um, this morning. So what we're going to do is, is, is study this verse by verse. There's no chapters. There's just 25 verses in this short book. And what we're going to see is how our faith in Christ and, and understanding what Christ has done for us how that recognition of that and in thankfulness and gratitude for what Christ did for us, how it should shape and influence our relationships with those that God places in our lives. All right, so with that said, Philemon verse one, here we go. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, a brother. To Philemon, dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so what I find interesting here is this is a personal letter, right? This has Philemon's name on it. It's to him. So who is Philemon? Okay, so Philemon came to know Paul when, on Paul's first missionary journey to Ephesus. Philemon was from Colossae, and he came to on a visit to Ephesus. And as Paul was sharing the gospel, Philemon came to know the Lord on Paul's first missionary journey. So that's how this relationship started between these two. Now he's out in Colossae, and Paul is back in Rome, obviously far away. And what do we know about Philemon? Well, number one, he, he owns slaves. We also see, which was common practice in the Roman Empire at that time, and we also see that the meets in your home, right? The church meets in your home. So obviously he had a big enough home for the church to gather. So he owned slaves. He has a big enough home. So this guy is a, a, a wealthy man. He is, um, he's a generous man by letting these people meet in his life. And obviously he's also a, 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 a fellow worker, right? He's a believer. So we've got a Christian a wealthy Christian living in Colossae who's generous. That's what we know about Philemon. Then we see Aphia. Aphia here, we believe, is Philemon's wife. Now, tradition holds at this time that it was the wife's responsibility to have and hold accountable the slaves. They oversaw the slaves' assignments. They oversaw any disciplinary actions. And so that's why we believe that the letter was addressed to Aphia as well. We see Archippus. Archippus, obviously, the letter's written to him. So this is a man that had standing inside the church. Uh, we believe that he was a pastor inside of the church. And then what I find interesting here 
is that despite it being a personal letter, it also says, and to the church. And what that means is, is once that Philemon would have had this letter, that it would have been read out loud in front of the church. Now there's also one very important point here, an interesting point here that we don't see in this scripture. And that is who delivered the letter. And what we see in, in Colossians is this letter was written 60 to 62 AD, the same time that the letter to the Colossians was written. And if you go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, we see that Tychicus is the person who delivered the letter from Rome, from Paul, to the Colossians. It is also the same Tychicus and the same trip in which this letter got delivered to Philemon. Why is that important? Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. He, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. That's right. The same Onesimus, the same slave that ran away from Philemon is the very person that is coming with Tychicus to deliver this letter. Can you imagine what was going through Philemon's mind? Probably just going about his business, walk around his yard or whatever it is he was doing, and here comes this guy, Tychicus, with the slave that ran away, waltzing up your yard, handing you a letter. And not just a letter, this is a letter from somebody who is spiritually significant in your life, right? He led you to Christ, and it's just not any guy. This is the Apostle Paul. And, oh, by the way, this letter is going to be read in front of the whole church. So you better be careful of your response, Philemon. Can you imagine what was going through Philemon's mind? Let me help. Put, this, put yourself in his shoes. Let's say you've, you've got a friend, right? It's just killing you behind your back. He is he's talking about your back. He's putting you down. He's gossiping. He's saying things that aren't true. And before you have any ability to deal with this, he leaves. He's gone. He's out of your life for years. But then one day, he comes strolling up your driveway with someone else. And he's got a letter in your hand from one of the elders of the Bible chapel. And he hands it to you while he stands in front of you. And he says, and oh, by the way, before you respond, this letter is going to be read to the whole church on Sunday morning worship service. So you better watch your response. So can you imagine what was running through Philemon's mind as a slave that ran away from him and getting this letter from Paul? Can you imagine the pressure from the church for him to respond in a Christian way? Could you imagine the pressure from the other slave owners? The slave owners don't want Philemon to forgive Onesimus and restore him. What do they want him to do? Kill him, which he had the right to do. He's a runaway slave. The slaves had no rights. Because if, if he does anything but do that, does that and he forgives them, what message does that send to the other slaves? You could do what you want. They'll take you back. They'll restore you to your position. So Philemon was in a tough spot when he gets this letter. 
handed to him. This is not an easy situation. All right, so with that background, let's get into what Paul says. Look at verse 4 and 5. He said, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So what do we find out about Philemon here? Right, Basic Bible study. Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Right, He's in Colossae. Paul is in Rome. He's hearing about the faith that he demonstrates in Jesus all the way back in Rome. And not only that, and your love for all the saints. He loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's generous. This is a good Christian guy. He's living out his faith in his community, and Paul hears about it all the way in Rome. All right, verse six. So that's who Philemon is. All right, verse six. I pray, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. All right, so this is important, right? This verse requires some explanation because uh, number one, it's, it's really hard to translate because uh, you've got a whole series of words which is summed up in one word in the original text. But it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is key to understanding Paul's intent to reconcile Onesimus and Philemon. See, when we read this, I pray. So Paul's praying, right? So obviously he's praying. There's some concern. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Now, when we think about sharing your faith, what is that? He think that's evangelism, right? Telling people about your faith in Jesus Christ, that they would come to saving faith in him. But that's not what they're saying. He said, so that you will have a full understanding that's the key right here. So what Paul was saying that, that Philemon, I'm praying that you come to a full understanding, that you come to a complete understanding that as you live in faith, as you know more about Jesus, as you study his words, that you come to a full understanding of who he is and what he's done for you. And as you do that, as you respond out of what Jesus did for you, you will share your faith. You will demonstrate that to others. You'll express your belief to other people. That's what this verse is getting at. That he, as he gains this fuller understanding, he will be able to, through his actions and his words, share his faith with other people. But the obvious question is, why does Paul pray that? We just saw in the other verses, that this was a strong man of God. He had strong faith in God. He loved his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Why would Paul be praying that he gains a full understanding so he responds properly? And that's when you get and come to see the understanding of the purpose behind the letter. Because forgiveness is the issue. And we know when forgiveness is the issue, we know when someone hurts us. We know when somebody has wronged us that it is really hard to maintain a selfless, loving attitude and not let that, 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 that selfishness 
me first attitude to take over that makes, wants to make the other person hold, hold them accountable, make them, make them pay for what they did to us, to make them make whole what they did to us. And it's hard to maintain that love of God and the love of others when somebody has wronged us. And you see, it requires a, a, a selfless love for us to lay down our hurt and to lay down our pain and to, and to um, um, have the ability to forgive and to love the way that Christ, with a, right, when we have a full understanding of the way Christ loves and forgives us. Okay, so that is, when we look about that, that is the first application that we want to make today. It's in your sermon notes. You can follow along. That we need to forgive others as a response to God's forgiveness showered upon us. Right, that out of response to what God has done for us, Coming to a full understanding of that, that is what gives us the power and the fortitude to extend the same to those that hurt us. What Jesus teaches us to pray to the Father in the, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, he tells us to say, forgive our debts as we for also forgive our debtors. Then he goes on to explain this a little bit further, two verses down, verses 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive men, uh, they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do for not give, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now we know, right, that, that, that God's forgiveness of sin is not based on our forgiveness of others. What he's saying here is that our forgiveness of sin comes from the recognition of the forgiveness of sin that we have that comes from Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. See guys, listen, we're going to interact with each other. We're going to let each other down. We're going to do things that need to be forgiven to each other. And we can do that in response to what God has done for us. All right? So after reminding Philemon about his character, telling him about his character, I heard about your love, I'm praying for you, Philemon. This is going to be a difficult thing you're going to face because this is about forgiveness. Then, then Paul goes on to make five appeals to Philemon about the restoration and forgiveness of Onesimus. All right, we're going to see those five appeals laid out for us. Here we go, starting with um, verse 7. It says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you, on the basis of love. You see what he's saying here? Philemon, because of all of this great stuff, because all this stuff that you do, this great joy, you're an encouragement, you're, 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 a, you're, a, man of, you're a man of God because of all this. Therefore, right? 
although I could order you, I'm the Apostle Paul, I have apostolic authority, I could make you take Onesimus back, I can make him make you restore his position, I'm not going to do that. Because of the faith that you've demonstrated, because of the love that you demonstrated, I'm choosing instead to what? To appeal to you on the basis of love. Right? Paul is saying, I'm not going to use my position. I'm not going to use my authority. I'm going to appeal to you based on your Christian love and the things that you understand and you know about Jesus Christ. That's the first appeal. The second appeal we see in the second part of verse 9. He says, I then as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I love this, right? So what's Paul saying? Hey, Philemon, <laughs> I'm an old man. At this time, he is 60 plus years old. Now, I want to be clear. I got a text after the first service. I am not saying that 60 is old. That was Bob McDemus at our Washington campus. I didn't say that. Paul says he's an old man. And he also says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I am a prisoner. I am in jail because of my faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying, come on, Philemon, help a brother out. I'm old. I'm stuck in jail. I can't come to visit you. I can't look you in the eye to tell you what I want to tell you. I'm, I'm reduced to writing you this letter. Show some grace. Understand this situation and receive this letter well. That's what Paul's saying here in the second part of verse 9. Okay, third appeal we see in verse 10. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. All right, so my son, my son. Well, how does one become a son after they're born? Did Paul adopt Onesimus? No. Talking about spiritual son, right? Paul led Onesimus to Christ. Because when Onesimus ran away from Colossae, when he ran away from Philemon, he showed up in Rome. And he ran into Paul in Rome, and Paul led Onesimus to Christ. He's saying, this is my spiritual son. I love him. I'm invested in him. I've discipled him. He goes, he's got a new standing before God. He's not a slave any longer. He's got a new standing in front of God's people. You've got to take this into account when you consider what you're going to do with him when he returns. All right, that's the third appeal. The fourth appeal we see in verses 11 through 14. 11 through 14. He says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Spontaneous and not forced. The name Onesimus means profitable. And what Paul was saying here is he is, he is, he is profitable in more than name only. 
right? He went from, wrong end of the pen. He went from useless to what? Useful. He went from a waste to being valuable. He now has value to Paul. Think about it. Paul's in prison. Paul can't go anywhere. Do you think a slave would have been useful to Paul? To run errands, to deliver letters, to do his work outside of where Paul couldn't be? He was tremendously valuable to Paul where he is, but Paul says as valuable as he is to me, he is more valuable to you. He's more valuable. Take him back. He's no longer a worthless slave. He's no longer a waste. He's no longer disobedient. He is valuable. That's the fourth appeal. The fifth appeal we see in 15 and 16, right? The fifth and last appeal that we see here, verses 15 and 16. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is talking about God's providence here. Paul is not being dogmatic and saying, this is how it is, Philemon. He starts this verse with what? Perhaps. Perhaps, Philemon, this was God's plan all along. Perhaps, Philemon, that God wanted Onesimus to run away from you, to come all the way to Rome to meet me, so that I can lead him to Christ, that I can invest in him, that I can help make him valuable, and then I can send him back to you restored. Perhaps that is what God wanted all along. He's away from you for a short period of time. But now when I send him back, he'll be with you for what? Forever. Because he has what? He's come to know the Lord. He has eternal security. He's a brother in Christ. You will be with him forever. Philemon, maybe that was God's plan all along. So five appeals Paul makes. Five appeals, right? He, he goes after Philemon hard on behalf of Onesimus. In a loving, kind way, he's trying to convince this friend, this brother in Christ, this guy that he led to Christ, to to receive back Onesimus. This guy that was a worthless slave, a disobedient slave, and accept him back as a brother in Christ, forgiving him for what he did against him. He doesn't force him He doesn't use his authority. He calls it out by Christian love. And he lays out these five amazing peels all based on the work of Christ. And that is going to be our second application today when we look at those five appeals 
is a, is a, is a, is a, a grouping. We're going to make one application in our life. And it's that as believers, we should appeal to one another instead of using force. See, isn't this the way that God works with us? God does not force us into relationship with him. God doesn't force us to trust him. God doesn't force us to love him. If he forced us, what, what kind of relationship would that be? What would that relationship be based on? Instead, God appeals to us. God draws himself to us. God uses other people in nature to, to draw us in. Right? He speaks to us and, and attracts us and wins us through love and kindness and respect and forgiveness and mercy. And that's how God draws us into himself. Right? He offers us this, this true, genuine relationship between us and our Lord Jesus. And then God uses us to draw others to know him. And Paul makes that point in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his what? Appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, God appeals to us through people. So we too should appeal to others. We should not force our opinions. We should not force our position. We should not force our will on somebody when we disagree or they've hurt us. We should appeal to them out of Christian love, out of respect for one another, based on the fact of what Christ did for us, right? That's the second application in our lives. All right, so let's look at the third application. And third and fourth application, we are going to see right here in verses 17 through 19. So let's read those together before we look at these next two applications. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. So I am right here. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Right? I will pay it back. Right? Third application for us is give me what is due him. Give me what is due him. In other words, put it on my account. I'm sending him back to you, Philemon. Here he comes. Now, I don't know what he owes you. I don't know if he stole from you. I know there's probably been a cost associated with his leaving. But whatever it is, whatever he did, I will pay it. Put it on my account account. And the technical word for this is imputation, right? To impute means to, to reckon, to charge to one's account, to ascribe to someone or to something. Paul's saying, whatever he owes you, 
I will take care of it. I'm willing to pay up. I love this guy so much and I so desperately want to see him restored to you that I am willing to pay whatever damage is that he has done. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that what Christ did for us? By paying the penalty of our sins? Then shouldn't we be willing to do it for others? Do you care that much about your brothers and sisters in Christ that you are willing to pay whatever cost they owe somebody to see them restored in a relationship? See, to love like Christ does, this is what he asks us to do. Let's jump back to verse 17, the fourth application that we see here is not only give me what's due him, but give him what is due me. Give him what is due me. And what, what he's saying here, right? Who's, who's writing this? It's the Apostle Paul. So you can imagine the Apostle Paul shows up to visit. He's gonna have the best of everything. He's gonna be treated like the Apostle Paul. And so Paul's saying here is, hey, not only will I pay, but give Onesimus the same treatment and the things that you would give to me, give it to him. Treat him as you would treat me. See, Paul's saying, credit to my account what he did to you and credit to his account what is due me. What's Paul doing here? Paul is challenging Philemon to do for Onesimus exactly what Jesus did for them and what Jesus does for each one of us. See, because just like Onesimus, each one of us had a debt to pay because of the sin that we've had in our lives. And we know that that debt to pay, by reading Romans 6.23 that that debt, that penalty, is death. A spiritual death. An eternal separation from God. But what did Jesus do? Romans 5, 8. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, Father, put it on my account. What Scott did, what Scott is doing, and what Scott is going to do, Put it on my account. And in Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are what? Justified. What's justification? That's the imputation of righteousness. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Jesus says, give me the penalty, Father. Give it to me for these people. And then give to them what is only due me, which is righteousness. Wash their sins as white as snow. It's because of that sacrifice that we receive what is rightfully due to Christ. And Christ receives what is rightfully due to us. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 5, to the man who does not work, right? It's not about what we do, but trust God who justifies the wicked, that's you and me. His faith is credited as righteousness, credited, imputed, given to you. See, because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made, the wicked, you and me are made righteous, blameless because of our faith, not because of anything that we've done. And this is the central point, the key point of this book. Right, that Christ did these things for us. How can we not extend the same to others? Out of gratitude, out of amazement for Christ paying this penalty for us and imputing his righteousness to us, can't we find it in our hearts to do the same thing to people that owe us a debt? So Paul, knowing how much Philemon loved the Lord, Paul states he has confidence in him and that he anticipate Philemon doing great things. Look at verse 20, 20 and 21. He says, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask you to do. See, Paul's saying, I know you're a great man of God. I know you have this in you. And I know that you understand what Christ did in your life. So I know that you're going to exceed my expectations. He expects big things out of Philemon. So my question is, do people expect big things out of you when somebody wrongs you? And say, man, I know Scott is going to rise above this and he's going to forgive his brother. Or do people say, ooh, man. I feel sorry for him. I don't know what Scott's going to do to him. Are people expecting big things out of you when somebody wrongs you? Expecting you to act out of Christian love and Christian respect? Paul expects of Philemon. I think that's what Jesus expects of us. I love verse 22. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. This cracks me up. Basically saying, hey Philemon, I just may stop by at any minute. So be careful of your response. I might be coming to check up on how everything worked out. And then Paul concludes the letters in, in verse, verses 23 to 25. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Do you know what I find really interesting here? Look who's listed. Mark. Why is it interesting? This is the very Mark 
who deserted and ran out on Paul in the first missionary journey. Paul was burnt so bad and was so irritated by what happened that five and a half years later, when they were going out on the second missionary journey, Barnabas tried to convince Paul to let Mark go along on the second one. And Paul said, no way, Jose, is he going. No way. And what the scriptures say, there was a sharp disagreement. And Paul at that point, Paul and Barnabas split. That was in the fall of 49 AD. This letter is written to 60 to 62 AD. So 11 to 13 years later, we see that Mark and Paul are not only reunited, but they are fellow workers. Paul invited, not only they reconciled, but Paul invited Mark back in to his ministry. Now, we don't know why this was listed here. But I can't help personally to draw the conclusion that Paul specifically put Mark in here as a reminder, as an example to Philemon. I've restored Mark into ministry. <laughs> can't you restore Onesimus into a favorable position with you? The book of Philemon, 20 Five verses. 25 amazing verses in this small little book. Four simple but yet profound applications in our everyday lives. It should impact the way that we interact not only with Christian brothers and sisters, but with unbelievers as well. They should impact the way that we interact with everybody in our lives. So the question that we're left with when we read such rich text is how am I going to respond to those who have wronged me? How am I going to respond? See here, Philemon had every right to be right. He had every right to be angry. He had every right to want to hold a penalty over Onesimus' head, right? He did him wrong. And some of you sitting here today saying, I wish I had a slave that ran away. (laughs) Because if you'd see what's going on in my life, if you only knew what my mother and father did to me, if you only knew what my best friend did, if you only knew what my spouse did, This is nothing. You're right. You could be way worse off than Philemon ever was. But the question remains the same. How are you going to respond? Now, with any good story, we want to know how it ends. We want to know how did Philemon respond but I'm afraid to say we don't know. The New Testament does not tell us. Tradition holds that Onesimus went on to become the bishop of the church in Ephesus. But we don't know how Philemon responded to that letter. But you know what you do know? 
you will know how your story is going to end. Because you control how you are going to respond to those that have hurt you and to those that have wronged you. You control whether you're going to forgive or not. You control whether you respond out of Christian love and respect or you're going to force your opinion and, your, and, and force your desire to be right and to be justified. You control whether you are going to step up and say, charge it to my account. I love them so much, I'm going to see them be restored. You control whether you grant to others what is rightfully due to you. See, no one wrote the end of Philemon's story. But you are going to write the end of your story in the way that you interact with those that have hurt you and have wounded you. So let me ask you, how is your story going to end? So Father, we thank you for these 25 verses that are so meaningful for us today. Father, let the truths of this scripture penetrate our hearts and our lives that we can be those people that forgive and respond out of Christian love and respect out of response to the price that your son Jesus paid for me to be forgiven, for me to be restored. Out of gratitude, let me extend that grace and that forgiveness to those that you've placed in your life. Thank you for giving me the power to do that with the Holy Spirit living inside of me. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.